Welcome to Talking Sense. I'm Mark Osorio. And I'm Teresa Arago. We're financial advisors, and if there's one thing we understand, it's that money can be confusing. So get ready, because we're breaking down what you don't know about money today on Talking Sense. I've heard people say two heads are better than one, but are two incomes better than one? Does research give us any insight regarding the dynamics of dual income that would support the theory that two incomes create more financial stability? That's our topic today on Talking Sense. I have to admit that mm-hmm. I did not come to the conclusion I expected to. When I yeah. started researching for this topic, I expected everything to agree that, yes, two incomes absolutely always equals more financial stability. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the the acronym DINK? DINK? Dual income, no kids. Oh, I mean, well, that's that like- might be a different piece of the pie for sure. Um, but <laughs> what was interesting is that when we started looking at this, even though mathematically you would expect that to be the case, that more income equals more financial freedom, yeah. the data doesn't generally align with this theory. So mm-hmm. we're going to discuss why and also what you can do to build towards your financial freedom, whether you're single or dual income household at the time, at the moment. Mm-hmm. So when we were looking at the research, there were really two major factors that seemed to play into why there was not just patently more financial freedom in dual income families versus single income families. And we're going to point those out first, and then we're going to talk about just general concepts. Yeah. So the first one seems to be that when you have two incomes, that the budget is based on two incomes. Yes. Which seems kind of silly. Yeah. yeah, That makes total sense. I think it's about margin. I think Mm -hmm. they, the, the data that I, that we were researching said when you have two incomes, there tends to be less margin um, a big piece of that is the mortgage. So if they have a mortgage, mm-hmm. when you have two incomes calculated into that, then there's a larger mortgage that comes out of that, which mathematically you'd say, well, duh. Mm-hmm. But it's you qualify for a higher percentage of your income to be in that mortgage too. Yeah. So whereas a single income home or owner might have like 40 to 50% of their mm-hmm. salary counted towards that mortgage for eligibility, mm-hmm. a dual income home actually gets 60 or more. Yeah. So that allows them to overextend themselves a little easier. Yeah, yeah. But you also have you know two incomes to depend on, right? Exactly. And, and it, it kind of makes me think back to the conversation that we have with clients about their emergency fund, right? Mm-hmm. If you have two incomes, then we typically say, okay, it's it's easier or uh, it's more acceptable to just have three months worth of you mm-hmm. know living expenses saved up versus if you're you know single. And, you know, you don't have the most stable job out there, then six months is typically what we say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, does, does that mean that, you know, we might need we to might revisit need to that? that? It's possible. <laughs> um, another thing is car payments, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in a in single income home, whether you're married uh, in a relationship or not, mm-hmm. you tend to have, a, based on the data, a more modest vehicle. Mm-hmm. So when you have a dual income home, I think people think, well, I can afford it. I can, you know, qualify for more. So I'm going to get more. Um, so that's that's one of the things. And of course, daycare, if you're in a, a relationship and you have children, you're paying for yeah. daycare if both of you are working. So that's another one of those fixed expenses that you really can't manage outside mm-hmm. of just making sure you do it right on the front end. Yeah. And that's something that I was going to ask is if, if this research was just all encompassing of any population with dual income or if this was you know, uh, mainly folks that had kids or, you know, because kind of like I was telling you, dual income, no kids, I feel like they would be in a pretty good shape. They would, except you find that in that subset, there's typically a lot more vacations. They're doing other things to spend their money mm-hmm. 
that still kind of makes it work out now, I would say they probably have more disposable income, which mm-hmm. is what this was really focused on, but okay. how they're spending that isn't necessarily going to savings. So it's not necessarily netting them mm-hmm. more freedom. True. Um, and then, you know, the big thing, again, we, we talked about this before, but it's kind of the thing that gets us into trouble and it gets us into trouble no matter what stage of life we're in. It's the, well, I deserve this. I can afford it. Um, I, when I was in college, uh, I've told the story before, but my, I needed a new car. I had gotten into a wreck. My old kind of beater car that I'd had for a long time got destroyed. And when I went to the dealer, they got me really focused on the monthly payment. Mm. And (laughs) I thought, you know, I make $400 a month. Granted, I was a college student full time. Um, yeah, I can afford a $350 car payment. (laughs) It's, it's math, you know, it's, you know, less I than really, 400. Sure. I really wanted the car is the truth. And I wanted the car so bad that I wasn't really thinking logically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what can happen when that happens. You know, you see the house, you see that house that you want and you're like, oh man, I really, really want it. And especially in the current market, mm-hmm. you can, you have to offer more than the house is even worth to even get into it fast enough right. and get your offer accepted. And you can talk yourself into taking on more debt than you really can afford. So it's important to keep logic involved in that. So those fixed expenses being higher was the first factor. Mm -hmm. And the second one was the impact of financial shocks. And this goes back to what you were talking about a moment ago with the emergency fund. You know, actually, when you have one partner who's not working Mm -hmm. and they have the ability to go into the workforce, if one gets injured, then you actually have a little of a buffer there. You know, if, if we were married, for instance, and you're working, but I'm staying home mm-hmm. and you get into an accident, I could always enter the workforce right. and help shore up the budget. That, that could still be a, a big risk though, because it depending be. on where the labor market is, you know, you're right. You you're right. Might not get a job but if we quick. were both working and we were mm-hmm. living off of a budget that had both of our incomes involved, mm-hmm. me continuing to work has less of an effect of, of kind of saving the budget. Right. So that's where, you know, the, the shock of a financial strain or mm-hmm. a hardship can be even more dramatic. Or if I'm staying home, I could always pick up a side hustle mm-hmm. if I'm not having to work full time. But if we're both working full time, trying to pick up that side hustle is going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So I'm guessing this study might not have taken things like disability insurance into account. Correct. Is that right? Correct. And that's something that to think about when you're talking about your, you know, emergency fund. If you have short-term, long-term disability insurance, mm-hmm. that helps buffer that a little bit. So for me, I do. I have short-term disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a big proponent of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's been very helpful when I have gone on maternity leave. And um, a lot of people don't think about that as an alternative. Now, once you're fully funded in your emergency fund, it may not be as important, but I'm personally of the mind that it's really inexpensive. I'm just going to keep it as a backup. Right. Yeah. And and typically, I mean, what we say is that your emergency fund is your short-term disability, mm-hmm. right? And then if you have a disability longer than that, then you've, that's why you pay long-term disability premiums. Yes. Right. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that for the most part, disability insurance only covers up to 60% of your income. Correct. And usually you have to pay attention to what kind it is because mm-hmm. often what you're getting is something that says if you're fully disabled, not all policies are worded mm-hmm. in a way that it's if you can't do your current job. So there's different types of disability. There's fully disabled, but there's also what's called an own, your own occupation, occupation thank yep. you, policy. And that one would mean if you can't do what you've been doing, 
then you would qualify. And those are usually a little more expensive, but it would be much more comprehensive. Right. Because there's the other ones that it's like, okay, you might not be able to do the current job that you were doing, but if you can still be like a Walmart greeter, then we ex- that's what we expect you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. And if you were doing something that paid a lot more than that, that's not really helping you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So those are the two things that we've seen consistently in this report. And again, it didn't count for all types of families out there. The bottom line was overextension, mm-hmm. overextending yourself. So we did talk. want to take some time to talk about strategies that you and your family can take, whether you're single, in a relationship, have kids, all of that. It's just across the board, sound financial decision-making skills. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to get on the same page financially, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody, Mm -hmm. having unity in your finances is not just financially sound, it's also just sound. Yeah. So what would you say for the the couple that let's say that one of the spouses just says, okay, you you take care of everything, you know, you you do it all and that's kind of like just a one one person job. What tends to happen is resentment builds because mm-hmm. typically in relationships you've got the spender, you've got the saver. Even if they trade roles from time to time, which is the case in my marriage, we we like to trade roles from time to time. Um, if you have one person who's always got hold of the purse, mm-hmm. and the other person doesn't ever get a say in it, even if they didn't say they wanted to say, they really did, then it can create <laughs> some resentment and some challenges there. Also, just not being on the same page isn't healthy long term for your relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I know there are some families that choose to keep their checkbook separate. I would argue that that's probably not the most efficient way to run your household. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's you know, the data would back me up on that. But at least having the same focus, the same goals and working towards those together is Mm -hmm. really, really important. What I've seen a lot of couples do is that there might be kind of the the budget person, right, that Mm -hmm. works that out. But then they let's say both have their slush fund right yes. so they both get like a, like an allowance let's mm-hmm. say and that way they both have freedom over what they get to do with that money yes and i think that's really important especially in in couples where one's the spender and one's the saver mm-hmm. if the spender knows i have x number of dollars that i can just do with what i want mm-hmm. then they don't feel so constrained mm-hmm. and then if the saver knows that they're going to stay inside of that amount it helps them not feel as stressed about the spending that that yeah. other person's doing <laughs> right and the only way you can really do that is if you have an emergency fund, too. So you you mm-hmm. got to build towards that. If you don't have one, that's OK. Start today. Even if it's five dollars a week going into a savings account, that's better than nothing. Get some money rolling into that so that you can avoid having to go into debt anytime something hits that may be outside the budget. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main things that I would say probably makes those dual income families really be in that risk is that mm-hmm. they probably have more debt than what they actually should be in. Mm -hmm. And those payments are kind of what tie up that discretionary income. Yes, that's been my personal experience. Let me tackle the mic here real quick. That's been my (laughs) personal experience is that when I feel stressed, it's that we've taken on debts that I didn't really think through. Mm -hmm. You know, something as simple as we got windows on the house. We had money in savings and then we had another emergency. So we weren't able to pay cash for it. So now I feel the burden Mm -hmm. of that debt. I think that's a really important thing to plan ahead for in your emergency savings. And then you mentioned it, debt in general. If it's not mortgage debt, Mm -hmm. 
start coming up with a strategy to at least not add to it and work towards eliminating it if you can, because there is a lot of freedom in not having that over your head. Right. Yeah. I think a couple of episodes ago, we talked about, you know, buy now, pay later mm-hmm. and how that is so counterintuitive to what we should be doing. Right. So the, the strategy that we should be kind of promoting is save now, you know, pay cash later. Yes. Yes. I loved, I loved the way we put that because I think that is something that a lot of us don't get raised doing. You know, mm-hmm. we never see, or at least in my case, I never saw my parents planning for purchases. Mm-hmm. They just happened. We just magically got new things, which we weren't wealthy, so it's not like we got fancy things. But I do wish that my parents had taken some time to help me understand that process. And, of course, my kids think we're poor because I'm always talking to them about, well, we're planning for that, but we're going to have to wait till Mm -hmm. this date or, you know, (laughs) things like that. So they probably think we're poor, too. But the last thing is to clarify your priorities and make sure your spending is in alignment with it. Mm -hmm. So getting on the same page financially is really important. The next thing you can do is create balance in your finances and in your expenses. Yeah, and I really like this one because, yeah, maybe you can't, you know, all of a sudden just wipe off part of your debt, mm-hmm. but you can look at the other side of your expenses of, of your budget, right, to see where you can make some room. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some simple things. There's some that are a little more complicated now. You know, interest rates are going up, so maybe refinancing your mortgage isn't an option. But what you can do is look at your other fixed expenses. Do you have subscriptions that you're paying for every month that maybe you don't use? I mean, I had a 10 fitness membership for like two years. Never went. I'm just going to be honest. I always I always tell myself I'm going to. It's going to be the thing. It never works. So I finally, because you have to go in the place to cancel it. They're smart. Yeah. Some of these you have to do that. Pull out your statements because a lot of us don't track it. Pull out your statements and look at what you're spending every month and see if there are some subscriptions that you can cancel. Mm -hmm. You can also levelize your utility bills. So, you know, it may make it higher in certain months, but if it's the same or pretty close to the same every month, then ultimately it's easier to budget for. Right, which is kind of the the last thing here is, you know, uh, planning for the future, Mm -hmm. right? So that's actually something that that I did in my house. I actually rent out a couple of rooms. So Mm -hmm. just to, to have kind of an easier planning uh, method, I made sure to just go ahead and levelize the electric bill the, and the, the gas bill. That way, mm-hmm. at least I know more or less, you know, what that's going to come in at. That's smart. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if you've got savings vehicles available to you through an employer plan, um, that's a great way to start working towards your future goals. Um, you can automate just about anything these days. Um, most people have direct deposit. Most employers will allow you to split that. So you can have your savings goal go straight to that savings account so that you don't have to think about it. I'm just going to be honest. I'm the type of person, I automated my tithe. I just, I want to make sure that that check gets sent. So I automated it too. I, my savings are automated. That's just the way I work. So mm-hmm. um, get ahead of your annual expenses too. I don't know how this happens every year, but it's like Christmas sneaks up on me every mm-hmm. single year. It's the same date. But I tend to forget. So this year I had committed that I'm going to put a certain amount in savings so that it's not a shock to us financially this year. Um, But you can do that. All of us have those things, birthdays, holidays, vacations, um, even bills like your property tax, planning ahead for that. So make sure you have a clear plan and a path to reach your goals is really the bottom line there. Exactly. Exactly. So what would you say are our final two cents? Whether your household runs on one income or two, planning your spending to allow for savings and expenses is the best way to ensure you stay on track. Absolutely. And avoiding that trap that says, 
I can afford it, right? Because mm-hmm. we can, uh, we we all kind of get focused on. Well, I can afford that payment, but it's mm-hmm. not about the payment, right? It's it's really about what's going to be the total cost to you at the end of the day. So take time to consider, you know, if that purchase is really worth that commitment. Thank you for joining us on Talking Sense today. Next week, we're going to be discussing the various characters you find in the financial advising industry and how to spot the one that works best for you and how an NPC advisor is just not going to work for anybody. Thanks for listening to Talking Sense. And if you like what you hear, make sure and subscribe to the podcast to get all the newest episodes. The Jim Walt team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com. Or you can call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. And while we like to have fun here, we're also financial advisors, and that means disclosures. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Jim Walt Financial Advisors is an Arkansas registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.